Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. Victor Davis Hanson is the star and the namesake. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor has an official home on the internet. It's called victorhanson.com. Well, that's its web address. Its real name is the Blade of Perseus, and we'll talk about that a little later in this podcast. Today, we will talk about some political activity. It seems like uh, Governor DeSantis, or at least his super PAC, has begun to push back against Donald Trump or at Donald Trump. And there's some other contenders or maybe contenders or looming contenders in the Republican primary. We'll get Victor's take on that, on some, oh my gosh, some crazy business out in Michigan, where the legislature there wants to hand money over to red Chinese companies to open factories in Michigan. And we also have, in my opinion, the 250th anniversary uh, commission of, uh, for America's forthcoming birthday. Looks like it's going to be a woke nightmare. So that, that there's plenty more we could be talking about, but we'll get to all this and maybe more right after these important messages. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, on the political front, Governor Ron DeSantis is not announced for president, but there is some related super PAC, some DeSantis super PAC, which released its first ad. It was a 30-second ad uh, that was um, going after Donald Trump. And it essentially said, why are you, why are you attacking me? Uh, DeSantis, why are you attacking DeSantis on matters like Social Security when you should be attacking um, uh, the left and Biden? So that was the first foray. And your thoughts on that, Victor, and mixed in with that, if you wouldn't mind, we have the news from the other day that 
Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State, who seemed like he was going to be running, has announced that he will not run. Uh, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin is taking a quote-unquote pause from the concept of will he run or not. And then U.S. Senator from South Carolina, Tim Scott, has been a lot of uh, uh, energized talk over the last few days that he will be throwing his hat into the ring. By the time this podcast airs, Victor, he may have. Anyway, Victor, there's a a Republican GOP 2024 presidential topic. Have at it, please. Well, so let's just start with the two contenders. So where we are was that uh, DeSantis was running about four or five points behind Trump in the national polls into the Alvin Bragg indictment. And he was probably running dead even in New Hampshire, Iowa, maybe close in South Carolina. And then the natural empathy for this outrage, and it was an outrage, uh, helped Trump. And the Trump, I'm trying to be disinterested here, not trying to, you know, be biased toward any other particular candidate. So this is my take on it. So I think what happened was, with this outpouring of empathy for the way that Trump uh, was being charged basically with a misdemeanor that was beyond the statute of limitations that was trying to be inflated into a felony, which he didn't have jurisdiction over, Bragg didn't, that people thought it was an outrage. And then when on the horizon there was going to be this Georgia prosecution, maybe over a phone call, and Latita James is going to get in it with saying that he didn't value his real estate quite the way she would think you should. And I, I've sold and bought homes. I can tell you that it's very hard to know what your home is worth and that most people that I bought and homes, bought homes from said it was worth a lot more than it was. Uh, and then we have, of course, a special counsel who's going to uh, try to indict Donald Trump for the presidential papers and make us forget that Joe Biden um, in some ways was worse, much worse, much more egregious because he had it in three much less secured locations. He was vice president with no authority to declassify them. And he had them there for five or six years and didn't tell anybody about it. So that's where we are. And that has got that. What I just delineated has given us a lot of sympathy. So Trump soared up to 20, 25 points ahead of DeSantis. And then I think the strategy was, as I understand it, Jack, just empirically, was to smother in the cradle the DeSantis and all the other candidacies, but especially DeSantis, because he seems to have more uh, a percentage support, about 25, 26% than any of the other candidates combined. So the idea was to run these on Republican conservative stations like Fox News. And it was to hit him with the MAGA uh, agenda. That is, he's against Social Security. He's He's not really conservative. And then DeSantis, I think there were critics of his suggesting he was following Rudy Giuliani. I don't think he was, but that was a criticism that he was holding back and would come in and like gangbusters right before the primaries. But right. And that did not work because right. by the time Giuliani did, he had no momentum and the other candidates were off to the races. So, so I think what's happened now is DeSantis is I mean some of the some of the ads against him that he was almost a predator were kind of crazy. Remember yes. that pack was running. And he had a picture of him as a high school teacher just talking to some girls and smiling. You know he's 
it was that was kind of low. So now he's going to run ads. And because Trump talks a lot, I mean, he's running these ads that suggest, and they have some pretty damning quotes that t- Trump was sort of telling Dianne Feinstein and other liberals he can handle the national. He's not afraid of the National Rifle Association or he thought that you had to deal with. And he was right about that. You had to deal with the. Uh, bankruptcy looming on the horizon of Social Security. Everybody knows it, but you're just not supposed to say it. Right. Democrats have convinced Republicans that we we know it's going broke, but we won't say it. We know you're the adult, so you will say it's going broke and you want to reform it, and then we're going to attack you. And then Republicans said, not anymore, you're not. We're going to out-demagogue you. And that's where we are. But both of them probably have at times said you had to address it, but Trump says he hasn't. So I think what you're going to see now is DeSantis running these ads to show that Trump has got said so many things that there's going to be some embarrassing things to his base. I don't know if it'll have any effect. I don't know if Trump's ads. The main thing that's going to have an effect in that race is simply is going to be three things. One, how Trump reacts to these indictments, two, how many there are and what they consist of. In terms of, are they going to have a gag order or is he going to have to be in court all the time? Are they going to try to put him in jail? And this can go on for 18 months. And then three is during this time, is he going to be distracted or otherwise? What do the polls show DeSantis today? A poll came out, a Republican poll that shows that DeSantis does about four points better against Biden than Trump does. And so. Trump is tied up for 18 months. He may not be, but if he were to be tied up, will the Republican voter, not the base voter, not the never Trump voter, but in between voter who will decide this nomination, uh, the swing voter, are they going to say, you know what? He's been treated very terribly and he had a great four years, but I can't take the psychodramas, the melodramas that just keep coming. And I just want to, you know, as I said to Sammy, I'm Elliot in True Romance. <laughs> I just want to get, I can't take this anymore. You know, right. yeah, I want to get rid of it. I'm going to go into a fetal position. I think Ted Turner used to say that. I get into a fetal position on my floor of my office. I couldn't handle things. <laughs> if that's true, then that empathy will be generic and it will start to be absorbed by the other candidates. And will say, you know, this wasn't about Trump. He said it wasn't about Trump. He said it was about all of us. So. It's about all of us. They're at war with us. And then that will wane. I don't know if that's going to happen. And then DeSantis, then we're going to see very interesting because I think he's going to announce very soon. And these negative ads, we'll see the thing to watch in the first week or so to see if they have any uh, any you know legs, if they start to whittle down on Trump's lead. But more importantly, is how he does them. And I think it's very smart to not open up a new flank against Trump. In other words, what he's doing is he's saying, why is he attacking me? I'm not the problem. I'm not doing all these crazy things. I I know why he's doing it politically, but it's not right. It's just going to hurt us. We've got to unite. And then the second thing is, if he's going to attack me politically for what I've said, and sometimes responsibly, even though you may not like it, well, he said things that are crazier. Here they are. And, there, and so we'll see what that has. Uh, Pompeo is a great candidate. 
I've talked to him a lot. I like him a great deal. I think he did a wonderful job as Secretary of State, CIA Director, but it's very hard to run for office when you don't have an elected constituency. He did at one time. He was a very successful congressman. Right. But you're not if you haven't been elected lately and you're not running for office and you're not in office that where you can exercise and demonstrate executive authority, you know, or legislative prowess. It's very hard to get a constituency. Uh, Nikki Haley, to be frank, and I think Tim Scott are running. They're doing the Buttigieg um Kamala Harris route, they're running for vice, uh, maybe vice president or a major cabinet position because they're not going to be viable candidates, I don't think. Glenn Youngkin's a different story because he is, uh, he's got a very long history of financial expertise. He's done a great job in Virginia. It's a one, I think it's a one term governor. It is one term, right? Yeah. And so there's no, He's got to do something if he wants to stay in politics. He's got a lot of wherewithal. He's been very financially successful. He's got a good personality. He's well-spoken. He appeals to evangelicals. Uh, he's got, and so he is one person that I think of all the candidates would have some ability to affect the race. So I think you're really still Trump versus DeSantis and then Youngkin uh, having some ability to draw support from either one of the candidates. It's a little different than 2016 when Trump was, you know, he got 25, 26% right away. And everybody, there were so many candidates, they had five and six. So now everybody said, well, we don't want to, if you don't want Trump or you do want Trump, it depends a lot on how many candidates. That's the conventional wisdom that this time around, you're going to see more of a head to head because there's not, the candidates are going to be fewer. They're not going to be as uh, attractive to the voters. And we'll see what happens. But it's so, you know, if we if we went by what all of this, you know, I read political or I read all of these pundits. That, you know, if you went by them, you would think that Scott Walker won, won or that, right. you know, you know what I mean? It's just it's, at this at this time in 2016, everybody said that Scott Walker was the it was the perfect uh, right. candidate and. He stood up to the left. Uh, those the terrible uh, few weeks he had up there with the 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 uh, the lefties in Madison. Right? Well, he took they on the teachers union. Yeah. He was a great governor, but yeah. when he got on the debate stage, uh, he didn't he didn't do very well. Right, and that's the the thing. I remember when I was younger, everybody thought that sixty eight John Conley had gone. Oh my uh, gosh! Remember, they thought he was he, he spent. All 11 million 11 million dollars for one, for one delegate right <laughs> yeah and uh and then i think it was in 2004 wasn't it that we were told there were two ideal candidates and john Kerry was a has-been he hadn't entered and it was howard dean i'm gonna go to them i'm gonna go to this i'm gonna yeah yeah i'm going to washington and that kind of showed that he was an idiot and then it, then I think Michael Moore was pushing, oh, we've got to get a general and show our fides. It's Wesley Clark. Remember that? Oh, my gosh. Forgot about him. Yeah. Yeah. He was. And then it was there's two Americans, John Edwards. And he came oh. cl- closest, I think, uh, at one point. But my point is that there's it's too early and there's going to yeah. be certain intangibles. One is how bad does Biden get? And that's very important because 
if a candidate in a head to head poll says I'm the only one that can beat Biden, it's one thing. But if both of them can beat Biden because anybody can beat Biden, then that's something to think about. And then there's the age factor. Donald Trump is 76 years old. I think he's going to be 77 in June and he'll be June of 2023. So he would be running June of, you know, 24. He would be 77. And then he would be in his first year, 78 years old. And he'd be 82 years old. For Donald Trump, that shouldn't mean anything because he's the force of nature. But when you look at other people like Biden or Feinstein or Pelosi, you get the impression they should have checked out of politics. Oh, my gosh. Feinstein, these images of her lately, she looks like she's decomposing. I don't think she looks too bad for an 89-year-old person, but she's 89 years old. And all these people that want to live forever keep saying, oh, 50 is a new 30, 60 is a new 40. I was 40 and I'm 69. It isn't the new 40. Right? <laughs> At least not for me. That's and, right. <laughs> and 80 is the new 60. No, ask Joe Biden. He's 80 years old. He looks at the accent. He looks 90, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I was very, I was very embarrassed. I got to tell you this, but this is very embarrassing. So when I got the sting, I got really dizzy. I don't know why. I guess it was immune. So I had to go this weekend. I still have a touch of it. So you know how Joe Biden puts his hands out like he's balancing? Yes. Those little short steps. <laughs> yeah. Well, I went, I got up really early to swim and I, and I got kind of really dizzy and so i walked into this coffee thing at the hotel and i had my hands i guess and this little kid this not little kid he was a high school goes, that guy works he, the guy gets walking just like joe biden <laughs> <laughs> and i turned around and thought who's that and i thought oh hell he's talking about me I'm only 69 i'm not 80 uh, at least on, he didn't come break. up behind the kid and sniff his hair so no i didn't i didn't uh, yeah, so I, I think that's where we are in the in the campaign. It's too early. Yeah. We've got to we've got to see how we don't we've got to see how DeSantis does on the debate stage. We've got to see how Trump does. We've got to, but I, I think you can see the Trump campaign strategy. It is to drop megatonnage on all on Yunkin and DeSantis now and yeah. eliminate them, and then unite the party and dangle out vice presidencies and all that stuff. To unite the party. I think their strategy is uh, we're going to get even with the left. We're not going to get mad. We're not going to be in court over a porno star, even though it's a, it's a travesty of justice what they're doing. But because the left is so insane, we're not going to give them any opening to the degree we can. We're not going to have any vulnerabilities to the degree Trump does. So that's going to be the narrative's I don't think there's going to be a lot of differences on policy. By that, I mean, I just don't think a Paul Ryan or a Mitt Romney or John McCain type of candidate can make it in a Republican primary. Yeah. And I thank God for that. I don't see any Republican other than Nikki Haley saying, we've got to go on to Moscow. We've got to give them the tools to win. We've got to give them harpoon missiles. We've got to sink the Black Sea. We've got to give them a thousand Abram King. That spring offensive, it won't work unless we give them 50 F6, that kind of stuff. I don't think that uh, is going to work. And I don't see anybody saying the most important thing right now is to lower the capital gains rate. I would like to see it lowered. But there's other things like the border that are far more important. So I don't think you'll see the wonkish Romney, Paul Ryan type of Republican. I just don't think they exist anymore. 
this Victor is also because the Republicans, you know, have become a more empathetic middle class party and the left is going crazy. So they keep thinking, I don't understand. I don't recognize the Republican Party. What happened to old Bob Michaels and and Mitt Romney and right. John? McK- well, he, they didn't really care about the middle class. That's what happened. They're just like you. You don't care about it. And you're the Jacobin revolutionary Marxist party. You're the ones that Bill Clinton wouldn't recognize, even though he wouldn't say that publicly. There was a happy acceptance with Bob Michael types of of minority status. And I, I like he was a very decent person. He was. Yeah. His, his role was to be sober and judicious and be a perennial minority leader. Yeah. It was kind of like he was in 1936 and the, and the Roosevelt Democratic Coalition had all the powers of government. And he was supposed to be a factotum and kind of. Now, right. wait a minute, just slow down a little bit. Yes, we're going to give you this and we're going to give, but let me just give me just not so much. If we're going to run a trillion dollar deficit, let's do 900. That kind be of good. Stuff. It'd be good to have a, not now, because uh, uh, I want to ask you a vice presidential question, but to have a perspective someday on what Newt Gingrich meant to the, to the party, because he he pushed Michael out, and I th- I th- he he really changed the mindset of what it could be, what a Republican could be. But staying on the presidential subject, twenty twenty four, Victor, uh, you're just uh, you know, we talked a lot in the past about the the Hispanic vote in America seeming to be moving towards affinity uh, to to the Republicans. And I wonder, as you just mentioned, you know, people may be wanting to run so they could be really to be selected as the vice presidential candidate. Uh, I I, kind of think it's it would be important for Republicans for long term political purposes to have Hispanic on on the ticket. I normally don't believe in kind of ethnic uh, or whatever, you know, we need a, the, the first, Hispanic, the first, whatever. I don't know that that matters so much, but I, I wonder if, if considering and having an Hispanic on the Republican ticket would have long-term consequences. Well, I think, the, who, who is the bio? There's only two Hispanics, but they, and they're both Cubans, Cruz and, um, Rubio. Cruz doesn't resonate in the Hispanic community. Rubio does to a little, a greater degree, but the Cubans are already with the Republican party. So what you really need is a Mexican American. Yeah. Because that's a much larger constituency. And there is no word. I don't think there is an idea of Latino Hispanic solidarity that means that the Venezuelans and the Argentines and the Cubans and the Mexican Americans and Salvador are all in one group. Uh, they may, the left may see them that way, but yeah. they still don't. Cubans are pretty much. They, the younger Cuban generation dallied around with Obama and split that community. And then I think they came of age and, and they're not, we saw that, that the Santos won Dade County. And yeah. so what you, if you can find a prominent Mexican American candidate, but that community is not, it's, uh, the problem with the blue states is that um, that's where most of the Mexican American population lives. I'm talking about Nevada, California, New Mexico, Colorado. There is an exception with Texas, but they think they're turning it blue, maybe Georgia a little bit. 
And in those states, they're run by Democrats. So if you're going to be a Hispanic politician, you have to be a Democrat. And they don't represent, if you look at the California legislature and what young Hispanic Mexican-American lawmakers are saying versus what polls say, they do not represent the majority anymore. Maybe close to a majority, but at least 45 to 50 percent of Hispanics do not want an open border. They're baffled by transgenderism. They want more affordable fuel. They don't buy into the Green New Deal. Uh, so they want tough crime. They want border enforcement, as I said. And there's a generation gap that people are younger. There's two, the, the fishers in the Mexican American community are predicated on if you're younger and if you just cross the border, i.e. you, you're first generation. If you're over 40, and you're a second or third generation Mexican-American, the chances are you are increasingly upset about voting Democratic, even though you grew up saying you had to, because California's Democratic policies do not reflect your interests. And so at some point, the only problem with the whole thing, Jack, is that everybody, Carl Lowe, everybody's been saying the Hispanic vote's going to change and never has. Right, yeah. It's kind of like when I was growing up, the left said, oh, the Hispanic vote. We're getting all these illegal aliens that's going to change. Then they didn't vote. They didn't vote. And then suddenly under Barack Obama, there were these massive efforts to register. And they did vote. And I don't know if that's going to happen in reverse with Republicans. If suddenly they're going to say, you know what? My parents' party is destroying the country. I'm a upper middle class professional. I'm in government. I have a small business. And it make it impossible for me to function. I don't care if my kid gets affirmative action. I do not care if uh, my California small town is all Spanish speaking. I care about whether it's safe. I care if the schools are going to get my kid into a good school. I care about that. And they're not getting that from their leadership. But I don't know of a national politician on the right that has yeah. that stature yet. Bill the bill. Right. Yeah. But maybe Marco Rubio would be because he's he's radically changed, at least ostensibly from what he was. He used to be sort of a I don't know what he was, but now you listen to him. He wants to balance the budget. And this, this is he's kind yeah. of like a Tom Cotton, although he is a little bit. Uh, I don't know what the on Ukraine. I think he's a he's not where DeSantis and Trump are. Yeah. Well, my all I can think about with Marco Rubio is Chris Christie kneecapping him at that debate. That's kind of yeah, yeah, that was cruel. But something about Chris Christie, I mean, ever since that, you know, when the highway problem and the traffic yeah. and the, yeah, and he's a he's a nasty piece he's of a nasty. He's a nasty person. I've heard him and speak. I've met him. He came to a Hoover Institution event. There's something about him. I didn't what I really didn't like was that he participated in the preparation for Donald Trump's, I think, disastrous first debate in 2020. Yeah. I think Trump's second debate was very good. He clearly won. And that and that had almost no effect because I think at that time, 55 percent of the electorate had already voted under this debase, right. debase system that they've given us. But Chris Christie not only helped prep. And gave him the advice to be rude and abrupt and to rattle Joe Biden. But he went on television the next couple of days and started critiquing and criticizing Trump. Remember that? I couldn't believe yeah. it. I thought, wow, you just, why don't you just hold yourself up in a mirror? 
And so uh, I something about, him, something about him, I, I, I just I don't have yeah. that strong feelings about candidates, but something about him really bothers me. Well, look, the kissing, kissing up to Obama, Obama right, uh, right before, before the, the right. And then uh, uh, a truly bad picture. The beaches are closed in New Jersey. And that picture of him. Except for him and his family. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, was, uh, that was damning. Yeah. Well, hey, Victor. Um, we mentioned talking about that that spot that the um, DeSantis pack related pack, I should say, ran yeah. uh, in it. Um, uh, DeSantis said, uh, we're not going to mess with Social Security, re- rebutting, you know, claim that Trump has made. And which leads us into, you know, the another topic here, and that is uh, Social Security and emerging reports uh, that it it looks like it will be the trust fund will be depleted within a decade. So, uh, you know, the politics of of not embracing I'm going to take on Social Security. Yeah, I can see not <laughs> making that a, you know, the top of my platform. I'd rather let's say get me elected and then I'll see what I can do. It's, about it's a mess it. because. There's so many things going on. The The old argument of, re, of raising the retirement age was always that life expectancy was just exponentially growing, you know, from when the, the system was founded at 63 or 68, and then 70. Now, supposedly life expectancy. I looked at some tables that's 76 or 77 for males and 81 or 82. For, but I went back and looked and it's supposed to be about 83. And what's happened is, I guess, with either fentanyl or lifestyle or obesity, whatever it is, America's life expectancy hit a plateau. That's number one. And then number two, demographically, as late as 2000, we had about 2.1 children per family. We're way ahead of Europe, and now we're down to 1.6 almost. So the pool that pays in is getting smaller and smaller, and the argument to raise the retirement age to stave off bankruptcy is getting weaker and weaker. And then more, most importantly, Social Security is not a program for the aged anymore. It's got, right. you got everybody from dyslexia or disability. And when you see 7 million people coming in across the border, I just looked at that group coming in. I can tell you that a lot of them are going to be on right. Medi-Cal, Social Security, dysfunctional qualify for disability yes absolute social security disability so i don't see i don't think any politician has the guts to address it and i think it's going to start to implode and then they're going to have some bipartisan where they're going to raise taxes the other problem is that when you look at what they've done uh for payroll taxes they keep increasing their rate i think it's over seven percent and then the, the the floor of your income, I think we went from 80 to 100, 100, is it 150, the first 150 subject? And the Democrats are, they know how to, to reform it. They want to give more and more stuff to people to win voters, and they want to take that that lid off. So your entire income right. would be subject to 7%, which would be the greatest tax rate oh gosh, in history. Yeah. yeah. Massive. And this is at a time when Joe Biden, remember, has already raised income tax. I think this Top like thirty-seven eight or something went up to almost forty percent. So you look at you live in California, and if you're a guy making two hundred thousand or two fifty, and that's not a lot in California when the average price of a home is a million dollars. 
and gas is $5 and food is 20% higher than anywhere. And you start looking at 39% of your income federal, 7 to 8% um, Social Security, you've got high property taxes of assessed valuation, and you've got a state income tax of 13.2, and then you're going to do what? Go higher? So it's going it, to, I don't know what the answer is, but it, yes. has to, it has to be to go through that program and, and to really look at the number of people who are getting it and seeing to what degree that it was way beyond what was intended. Because, uh, you just, it, it's just not going to function. And we are, you know, the thing I don't understand about the Democrats is that I think had we had legal only immigration, we would be getting a quarter million right now, very technically trained people from Latin America, from Europe, from mm -hmm. Asia that would come in and they wouldn't be completely self-supporting like the idea of modern immigration was. But when you bring in the poorest of the poor of the poor from south of the border, I can tell you as living in a community, and I was just came out of the local um, emergency room with this anaphylaxis, I'd say 99% of the people there were not English speaking right? and, and had a lot of morbidities, visible morbidities. One out of every three people in California who goes into a hospital for any reasons is found out to have diabetes. Diabetes, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, and according to the United Nations, the obesity, the, the country with the greatest rec, uh, percentage of obese people is Mexico, not the United States. So we're bringing in a lot of people. I, I think that's dispassionately the left's, the left's mantra was, well, we're going to bring in all these young people and they're going to have to take care of these old, decrepit white people. Well, right. if you start to look at obesity and COVID deaths and obesity, I don't think so. I think that community that's coming in is not going to be as healthy as everybody says. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people in my hometown that are in their 30s or 40s and they suffer from severe diabetes, severe diabetes. So I just look at this program and I think, wow, I don't know what we're going to do about it. But this idea, we're just going to keep adding more and more people who are recipients. And then we're just going to tax and tax this dwindling number of people. Or we're going to, uh, something's got to give and nobody can say it because you'll be demagogued and your career's over with. Look at France. They're riding in the street just about raising right. harmony right. where we are. Yeah, that's the other thing. You can't, you know, even though it's a dwindling uh, worker class, um, you, I, I don't know how you could be a. a um, There's another thing that an, an iron worker and work for until you're seventy or seventy five. You can't. I mean, certain jobs you just have to retire at a certain age, right? I can and then. Yeah, and I can tell you right now, in California and a lot of the immigrant communities, there are billions of dollars that are not taxed. So what I'm what I mean by that is where I live and I go to the store and people pay either two ways with cash or with an EBT card or a WIC card. And you can go, as I said on an earlier podcast, three miles from my home, there's going to be five to ten thousand people on a Sunday morning buying everything for cash. There's no taxes collected. There's nothing. 
It's the biggest swap means. I don't mean used clothes. I'm talking about brand new stuff that comes out of warehouses. I don't know how it's there, but, and then I, on my avenue, and when I make a left turn on the way to town, I would say there's at least five uh, portable kitchens with food on both sides of the road. There's a nursery. There was a daycare center. There was even a homemade barbershop. And I'm saying that all of that commerce is on tap. And when you ask people to work, hey, I've got an older home. Could I get plumbing? Could I get electricity work? Could I? The number of people who are licensed contractors that you call and they'll say, no, I can't come out. I'm too busy. And then you look for a light and then somebody will call you back and say, well, I have a lot. I'm a licensed contractor and I work for the company that you did and I will work on the weekends, but I want cash. I want cash. And that's, that's, and you know, you don't want to do that because you're undermining the system. Everybody. Yeah. So the whole black market economy is getting huge. And that's another thing that when we don't have enough revenue, it's because they're not being taxed. When he says 88,000 IRS agents, I don't think he's going to go after the very wealthy. And I don't think he's going to go after the very poor. He's going to target the middle class person that keeps records. And that's going to be the local plumbing supply business. It's going to be the used car sales lot. It's mm-hmm. anybody that follows the rules is going to really right. Be, you kept you kept records. You're a, what a yeah. fool, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Victor, um, we're going to delve into uh, American history and the the forthcoming 250th anniversary of this great republic, and like to get your views on the quote unquote official way we. Seem looks like we're going to be celebrating. We'll get your thoughts on that, Victor, right after these important messages. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I would like to remind our listeners to visit the Blade of Perseus. That's the title of Victor's official home on the Internet. VictorHanson.com is the web address. Go there and you'll find links to prior podcasts, to Victor's other appearances on other podcasts and other radio shows, television appearances. You'll find links to his books. You'll also find links to the articles he writes exclusively for VictorHanson.com. 
They're called Ultra. You cannot read them unless you're a subscriber. To subscribe, it's five bucks. Try five measly dollars. <laughs> Do it. Subscribe and you will see what you have been missing. And you will say, I want to subscribe permanently now. It's $50 for a year. So do that at VictorHanson.com. I'd also let me take this opportunity, Victor, just to mention that the official home of this website is John Solomon's JustTheNews.com. You should check that out every once in a while. And we do, if you're on Facebook a lot, there's a great um, friendly uh, page there called Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club. It's not anyway officially related uh, to uh, to Victor, but uh, good good people. So if you know, check it out. And if you're on Twitter at VD Hanson, that's Victor's handle. So Victor, on our previous podcast, which came out on the 18th mentioned the anniversary of you know, the 18th of April and the battles of Lexington and Concord. And it puts one in mind. Oh, my God. You know, that was 247 years ago. We are about to celebrate America's semi-quincentennial, the 250th birthday of this great republic. I wonder if there is an official, uh, you know, congr congressionally approved, sanctioned um, institution to Put on the celebration. There is. It was. Uh, it became law in 2016. I think one of later you know, Obama was still president. He signed the Congress passed the legislation, signed it. There's a thing called America um, America 250. Well, you can imagine it what out, that's going to be like. Well, yeah. So that I have I have uh, visited it and. Okay, I'm wondering, well, are they going to be talking about Lexington? No. Are they going to be talking about Concord? Are they going to be no. about Ben Franklin? <laughs> no, it's going to no. be talking about slavery and racism yeah. and discrimination and what an awful country. But because they can't be entirely nihilistic, they're going to say, but thanks to, i.e., us, it's still because we're going to run the country. It's still, you know, they become very patriotic when they're in power. Remember that. They trash the country, they trash the country, they trash the country. Then they take power and they say, why can't we all get along and unite behind us? That's what they do. And and so that's where they are. I, yeah, I, I'm looking, I can't even I can't even conceive what it's going to be like. Well, let me let me just quickly. This is the, they have a website and they, they have a section called stories. So these are the most recent stories they've put up. The women faces behind America's 250 recognizing women's history month letter from the chair on black history month. Um, Native I didn't know this. I, you you just introduced. I didn't read it. So I. I I just expected this, but it sounds even worse than my imagination. Yeah, well, here's another Native community stories and honoring Native culture. Uh, and then uh, Warren Harding's children. What the F does that have to do with, with 1776? The story of Warren Harding, America's 29th president and his unacknowledged child. Uh, Black Business Month. Look, I don't want to get this a lot seemingly race here, but there's nothing those of us who lived through and happily celebrated the I, the bicentennial victor i was all into that oh, as a Lord, teenager sail, sailing ships remember that yeah oh it was, uh, it was it was wonderful it was a great celebration of america nobody thought about it in any democrat republican kind of way but this is a woke poop show oh uh, anyway <laughs> i know i i don't know 
I don't know what these people are thinking. Do they really think that the United States is so wealthy? It's so militarily uh, strong. It has such internal unity that it has a mandate to be like the Byzantines and, and exist for a thousand, uh, 1120 years. Is that what we think we can do? Because I don't see it. I see we're on a mar we have a, on the razor's edge and there's no margin of error and we're disunited. The military is not dependable anymore. The universities, enough said, they're completely ideological and they're not run by merit. And we're going to see mediocrity institutionalized. The big cities are sort of wastelands. The crime is depending on your ideology, whether you're going to be indicted or not, depends on your politics. And we have no southern border. It's not that we have a border problem. There is no border. It doesn't exist. You come and go. You fly in from London. You leave your passport. You come into SFO or JFK. They take you in and you're in trouble if you don't have a passport. But cross the southern border, cross the northern border and at a check. If you don't have ID, you're in trouble, but not the southern border. That's a political decision, ideological. So I don't see... uh why you would want to encourage these fissures or widen this, these antitheses or these antagonisms the way that this does. And I, I don't know. I don't quite understand. We're going to be disun, disunited. We're going to say how awful, awful, awful we are. So because we're going to celebrate how wonderful we are. That's right. sort of like waving the pride flag. Uh, from the Kabul embassy where you have George Floyd murals all on the walls of streets in Kabul while you're teaching gender studies at the University yes. of Kabul while you're fleeing and turning over $50 billion to terrorists. That's where it ends up ultimately. And so well, you, sh you will remember you because you were involved. You The first thing President Joe Biden did was to rescind the executive order that Donald Trump signed uh, that created the 1776 yeah. commission, which you were part of, which would have been we were fired the ideal thing to inform this celebration. We were fired in two weeks. Yeah. So I have the, I was on the American battlefields, uh, battle monuments commission and Obama, as soon as he got elected, fired me and I hadn't done anything wrong, but I guess, and you know, the, I, I look back and Republican presidents didn't really do that. They didn't really remove. Trump people. didn't. He kept yeah. those people yeah. at the Department of Justice yeah. and um, yeah. that 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 bald little weirdo, nasty SOB who was running um, the IRS, yeah. Kotkin or something like that. Yeah. Didn't Kotkin. he stay on for like eight months? How about Rod Rosenstein? Yeah, and all of them. And so, and James Comey. Sorry, so I didn't make didn't mean to make fun of bald people. I'm sorry. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> so yes, uh, yeah, I mean. There's only a, you can only do this so long. You can only say we're not going to teach civics in America. We're not going to salute the flag. Colin Kaepernick's right. Uh, this is an awful country. Uh, Michelle Obama's right. I've never been proud of my country until they nominated Barack. They always set the bar too high. It's a downright mean country. Uh, Obama, this is, uh, the police are completely out of control. Everybody knows that. Trayvon's the son that looks like me. I never had. You can keep doing that, but at some point, uh, it doesn't work any longer. People say, okay, maybe you're right. So screw it. It's all over with. But that, that's what they're pushing. And then, then they get in power 
And they say, these January 6th people were insurrectionists. They, they were armed. I just heard that uh, a major politician say that the other day. They were. They went to the Capitol armed. It was on TV. I thought, no, they didn't. It was a buffoonish bad thing to do to desecrate the Capitol by going in there. But some of them were just walking around. There were no armed people in the Capitol. It was no different than what the people went in to the te- to the Tennessee legislature with a bullhorn and hijacked the proceedings. And the left said, well, what they had their voice was denied. They weren't allowed to speak or the people, the, the trans community was hurt at Stanford. He, he, he was rude. Or that's what the San Francisco state. So they, they can contextualize all they want. But yeah. the more they divide and, and don't follow the Constitution and ideologically weaponize the justice system. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Well, let's 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 keep on that theme of ideologizing the the criminal justice system or the justice system, because this is in your state, Victor, um, the infamous DA of Los Angeles, Gascon, who dodged a, um, a recall. But he he is the he was was he recalled as the um, or forced out in San Francisco? But it, right now he he is going after police officers, a former police officer himself, right? And there are a few uh, cops in L.A. who were exonerated several years ago from a shooting. Uh, they pulled some guy over, and I think the town I think it was in Torrance, not sure exactly, but but the um, the guy had a gun. Turned out to be a pellet gun, but he was shot. You know, put your hands up, you know, get get your hands. He put his hands down towards the gun. He was shot. These two cops were, uh, it was a justified shooting. Four years later, D.A. Gascon wants their scalps. Your thoughts, Victor? Well, my thought is if you're going to take out the king, don't wound him. So if you're going to recall George Gascon, Gascon, and they did, and they got close, but of course, the L.A. city government suddenly found some, something they called voter integrity, and suddenly they just started to throw names off the list. That I wish they had done that the same scrutiny in the last election. But once he realized that it's probably only a matter of time they're going to recall him, then he thought, I'm going to have a legacy of destroying jurisprudence in Los Angeles County. And so he went back, and he promised he would do that. He went back through all of the records of right. uh, district attorney's opinions and decisions not to prosecute people who thorough investigations had showed they were not culpable. And when he went through those cases, he made a distinction, a Manichaean distinction. He said, are these people victimizers or are they victims, i.e., he he wanted to know whether what were the ideological ramifications of all this. And he came down with the idea that if you were a police officer and you shot somebody in the line of duty and you were investigated and you were exonerated, you were not going to be exonerated because that's de facto you're guilty. And that's what he's done. And he, he I don't think he'll find a jury in Los Angeles County that will convict them. But who knows? But that's not the point. The point is he's sending a message. He's saying, you want to uh, recall me? This is what you're going to get. And listen, I'm not going to be coward at all. I'm going to really change Los Angeles. And he has helped change Los Angeles. 
I just suggest anybody drive down at about two o'clock on a weekday into Los Angeles, downtown LA. Right. And what was once a bustling, cram pack place was bistro, everything was, rents were full, rents were high, stores were full. You go down there, it looks like the day the earth stood still, there's nothing there. And there's nobody going in there. And the streets are filthy, dirty. There's homeless people everywhere. And there's a lot of people peddling stuff off the books. You can, you can buy pedal food, pedal book belts, pedal trinkets, but it's not Los Angeles. That's the city that he's helped create. And it's not safe. It is not safe. And again, it's not just it's not safe. It's not safe in the sense that if you or a bumbling guy from Fresno, and you just happen to want to go down to Los Angeles to, to do business downtown, and you park your car in a parking garage, and you're walking on the street, and somebody comes up and hits you over the head and takes your wallet, and then you get back in your car, and it's broken in, they're not going to do anything. No. Yeah, and if you attack the, if you club the guy who was trying to attack you, yeah, you'd be arrested. Yeah, you don't dare do that. That's the whole point. Yeah. And that's what ideology has done. That's when you ruin it. That's what Venezuela, that was what Cuba did. The first thing Castro did when he took power was was to go look at the, the penal code and put these revolutionary justices in and go after people they felt were counter-revolutionary. That's what our justice system is. That's why I have almost zero patience with the never Trump people. And I'm sorry, if you're listening and you were a conservative and you decided that because you have superior morality to everybody, you just were not going to vote for Donald Trump or you voted for Joe Biden. You could, you shouldn't have done that because not only is the economy wrecked and the border wrecked and the jurisprudence wrecked and we've got stuff like Afghanistan and this blank check in Ukraine, but uh, even worse than that is the judicial appointments and Biden's made a lot of them. And that's the point. He's going, he's going to change the entire, he's going to undo all of what Trump did in four years with good justices. So instead of having a Judge Duncan who is trying to be polite and go to a, a federal society and talk to a liberal audience, you're going to have a liberal judge who's going to go to a liberal audience and pander to them and be even more radical. And that liberal judge would never do what Judge Duncan did. You'll never see a liberal judge say, I'd like to, to hear what the other side has to say. I'm going to go to Hillsdale College just just to hear what they say. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so that that's why I get really upset about the never Trumpers, because these were people who claimed their entire lives. They were conservatives. They wanted smaller government. They wanted deregulation. They wanted reduced taxes. They wanted a secure border. They wanted American civics program. They wanted a muscular uh, Pentagon that put as its first priority battlefield efficiency. And then they deliberately either voted for somebody or empowered them by not voting, who was the antithesis of everything they stood their entire life on the pretext that Donald Trump was what? Extra legal. He was violating things. He, and then when you look at what happened to him with two impeachments, tried him as a private citizen raided his house after he left office, destroyed the country almost with $40 million, 22 months of a complete hoax that was con basically concocted by Hillary Clinton called collusion, hid the laptop for a year and passed it off. And we're going to 
we're going to say that Donald Trump's tweets endanger the republic? You've said this before. This is what you've said about like Peter Strzok's comments about the Walmart shoppers. Absolutely. I don't. What's the motivating factor? They didn't want to be associated with those. Remember that? I went into Walmart. I could smell them there. Yeah. And then then there was that CNN guy, Caputo. Is that his name? He said, I'm at a... uh, a MAGA rally, I think I got more teeth than anybody here. And then there was Joe Biden. He called them the dregs. Remember that? He called them the dregs. Yeah. And then there was uh, chumps, too, chumps. And then there was the irredeemables and deplorables. And then, of course, the minor starter at all, Barack Obama, the clingers. And uh, that was the vocabulary they created. And that was all thinly disguised racism. It was thinly disguised. It was basically t- saying that there's only a few good white people and they live on the coast and they're very, mm-hmm. very wealthy and they're very affluent and they've got designer taste and they buy the right cars. They buy the right. They have the right type of kitchens. They go to the right places on their vacation <laughs> and uh, they have the right type of friends and they have money to exclude them from the ramifications of the damage they've done by their policies. And then there's the people who live in Bakersfield or they live in Coldwater, Michigan, or they live somewhere in Des Moines, Iowa. And these people, these people are the problem with the country and they're they're creepy. We don't like them. Right. Please do not associate me with those people. Yeah. That is the that is the the driving motive for a lot of the and never. If you're Trump. one of those people like Kyle Rittenhouse and you are in, and you find yourself you have a gun and somebody's trying to kill you and you shoot back. You're all done. That's it. They'll try to ruin your. If you're the Covington kids and you're just sightseeing and you have a MAGA hat on and some guy gets in your face and tries to intimidate you as a professional provocateur, you're all done. If you're the Duke lacrosse people and you are stupid enough to have a stripper come to you, you're all done. So there's no margin of error. And just remember that. If you're this policeman in Los Angeles, and you pull over somebody and you see a gun between his legs, a barrel, and you tell him to get out and he seems to reach for it and you shoot him, you're all done. What you're supposed to do is say to yourself, 99 times out of 100, a person with a gun, a rifle barrel between his legs, it's probably a high-powered rifle. But there might be 1% where it's a pellet gun and therefore... If he pulls out the gun, he can shoot me because the pellet gun, if it doesn't hit my heart or brain, won't kill me. So, therefore, I'm not going to take preemptive action. That's what you're supposed to do if you're a cop, according to Gascon. And if a couple of cops die that way, well, this guy had a lengthy felony record, lengthy felony record when he was pulled over. And so... Uh, well, the co- the co- the the uh, the cop that shot Michael Brown in Florence should have been that guy was going to kill him, and he should have been killed. That's even even though he shot yeah. the cop and shot him, they, they, yeah. justified. But he, sa- he, he saved his own life. Yeah, this was a man who he was called. Why why was he called there in the first place? Because the guy went in and strong armed a clerk and said, "I'm taking this," and stole right out, just flat out stole tobacco, I think it was, and something else. Then he walked right down the middle of the street like, what are you going to do to me? And then he pulled him over. Then he attacked the policeman 
and wrestled with him. And then the policeman somehow, I guess, kept his weapon. And then Michael Brown turned and charged. And somehow that became hands up, don't shoot, shot in the back. And that was on CNN when the entire newsroom, remember that, put their hands up and they walked yeah. out. Yeah. And so that was a complete lie, complete lie, just like the diminutive 12 year old uh, ideal Trevon Martin that was attacked by a white Hispanic uh, was a complete lie. And the, 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 the George Zimmerman's face was photoshopped. The 9 1 uh, tape was edited to make him look racist. And then we were told that he's really got a Germanic name, that his mother is not really Mesa from Peru. And his mistake was he should have just said, you know what? My name's not George, it's Jorge. Jorge. And, and, I, and my name is not some Nazi sounding Zimmerman. It is Mesa, my mother's name. And my name is Jorge Mesa. Mesa. And this is, I feel as a person of color, I was attacked. And yeah. he would have been fine. Beto O'Rourke can pull this off. Why can't I can't an authentic? Yeah, Beto O'Rourke, that's a good example. <laughs> Beto, who is a spoiled, rotten, wealthy white kid who invents a Hispanic identity, runs on the Hispanic persona against Ted Cruz, who was born, what, Theodoro or something? Cruz, and he wants to anglicize his name because he wants to assimilate. So we got Ted, who is a Hispanic, who has fully assimilated versus who came as an immigrant versus Beto and Beto's running as Hispanic candidate and Ted is the non-Hispanic candidate only in America. Amen. Hey, Victor, we have time for one more uh, topic and that'll be, uh, well, I hope we can handle it uh, quickly. And that's about some just crazy, crazy attempts to hand money over to red China by the Michigan legislature. And we'll do that. We'll get to that right after this final important message. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I would just like to make a quick plug for the thing I do, Jack Fowler. I write Sybil Thoughts, a free, free weekly Someday I'll speak English. Free weekly email newsletter published by the Center for Civil Society at Amphil. We are trying to strengthen civil society. And my newsletter gives you a dozen plus recommended readings of very interesting articles I've come across in the previous week. 
articles that I think anyone with uh, any interest, any intelligence would be interested in. So uh, check it out. We've had many people from this listen to this podcast have signed up and they they do enjoy it. You'll find it at civilthoughts.com. Victor, crazy in Michigan, the state legislature controlled by Democrats wants to give I th- I saw a number of $600 million to Chinese-owned companies, which means to the, to the Red China government, um, money to uh, establish factories in Michigan, which seems to, uh, from some news accounts, has created uh, fury among the residents. Like, what the hell are we giving this money to communist China for? I don't understand. I don't understand yeah. because one of them was wasn't it a two point three billion dollar battery plant, Godian or something? I don't understand this. We have on the one hand that Joe Biden is trying to mandate that we all buy electric cars, and then on the other hand, the precious rare metals that are necessary for these lithium batteries are found in China, Australia, and basically the United States. And we have more probably than the others combined. And yet he he won't he won't mine them. And so then we're going to, what, invite a Chinese company to come into Michigan and subsidize it for jobs uh, to create batteries that are going to supply mostly probably the Chinese market or maybe ours, but the profits will go to China. What is so hard about just saying, you know what, if we want to have electric cars, we're going to mine the, the minerals necessary to create batteries. We're going to make the plant that creates the batteries to sell to Americans. They can't do that. These these crazy green people, they always mandate the end result, not the process of getting there. Oh, we're going to have high-speed rail. Fiat, okay, well, how are we going to do it? We're going, oh, by the way, we're going to have electric cars, but we don't, we, we, we're not going to let you mine, so we're going to get the Chinese to come in here because they're, they're, they know how to do it better than we do. That is just absolutely insane. Have you driven your car, the, your electric car, long distances, or you, no. you think that I just no. I, I, I can only no. drive it locally because otherwise I'll I'll no. My I'll wife wanted it, and so she has a seventy-five mile commute, and I agreed to buy it because I like Elon Musk, and I bought yeah. it at, at the worst time. In December, I was on a year waiting list, and all of a sudden, they said you can get it in December. I was a little upset because there was a rush to deliver it in December, and then I didn't realize that there was a big discount in January where they knocked off four or five thousand dollars. But I didn't know, so I, well, I had to waited. But anyway, she drives thirty-five miles to Fresno and thirty-five miles back, and she runs errands on for us on the farm because you know they've got everything in Fresno. So she goes to the store. She so I would imagine she puts about 115 miles each day and she comes by and I have the 220 and she just drives right up to the side of the garage and she plugs it in and it runs wonderfully. They haven't had one thing wrong. It's got about 8,000 miles, no problem, no maintenance. Uh, it's got a faster acceleration than a Corvette. It does. It's scary. I bet you it could bring it, beat a Shelby Mustang at zero to 60. It, it's just, it's a Y class. It's got the extra long batteries. It says it can go th- 330 miles. I don't think that's true because. Well, that's, I think that's my point. Like, would you drive to Los Angeles in that car from where no, you live? No, no, 
because yeah. I know what will happen. What they say the battery uh, distance is and what you're actually going to get unless you're a complete perfect Tesla driver is about 20%. So if she goes down the 99 and there's a slow person, as there always is, in the right lane and there's a man maniac, maniac truck guy driving in the middle lane and she's right. got to go around and accelerate, decelerate, stop and go. She's right. going to get, if it says that it's a hundred mile, uh, charge on the battery left, she'll get 80. At 80, shoot, you better be very careful. Right. 20, 20 less. So it says 330, I would imagine. And you don't want to charge it all the way up, supposedly, unless you're taking long trips. So I would imagine that. Uh, if I charge it to the max to 330, Los Angeles is 201 miles from my house, but you've got to go up to almost 5,500 feet over the grapevine. I would imagine, and it's going to be hot, I would imagine that if I got to Los Angeles, it would be almost gone. And the, yeah. and the only you have good to charge it there. <laughs> the Tesla chargers are better. Yeah. And the one that I have that is a 220. Uh, I think you can charge the entire car in four and a half hours, but there have some new ones. Supposedly you can go in and charge them in 30 or 40 minutes. But, and we're lucky that this town that I live next to is, is a Tesla supercharging place. And there, there's about 20 of them. So if I were to go shopping, I, if I you know, it doesn't do me any good because I can charge at home, but if there, they are, there are some on the way to Los Angeles. So what I would do if I took it to Los Angeles, would be that I take my little 110 that I think does three miles an hour, three miles an hour. Oy. And oh. I don't know where I'd plug it in if I was staying at a hotel, but yeah. I would, and they have a big problem with theft. People go right to the charging stations because people, you know, will leave them there three or four hours. And there's a big fine if you leave them, I think, more than the, their charge. Here in the valley, nobody uses them because there's not very many Teslas. When I go to work at Menlo Park or Palo Alto, they're just packed. Everybody's got a Tesla. But they're, they're a wonderful car for a daily commute. And I do, I, I'm saying that with full cognizance that some of you are going to say, listen, Victor, for the amount you paid for the Tesla, you could have got a Honda Civic that would have been much cheaper and that will never pay off. That's exactly right. I'm pretty sure, I'm confident that's true. Uh, my wife likes it only because it's very safe. It's all the, the records show it's a very safe car. It's got, I think, four airbags, you know, it's got front yeah. and, and dual sides. The shell is sort of cast rather than just riveted. I mean, it's, it's like a little capsule. So if you got in a wreck, it's very fast. And it's very reliable so far, um, but it's well, not it's not economical in the sense that you're saving all this money by not buying. I think her her bill was about a hundred dollars a week, and so she's probably you know we paid yes. it I think somewhere around six months, and so I suppose. It was $400. So for $2,400, we've saved in gas. I probably have $400 in electricity. Say I, I save $2,000, I'll save $4,000 a year maybe. And I think that I'd have to have no maintenance problems at all and go for about five years and save 20000 before it would be a better deal than a comparable car that might have been $20,000 cheaper. But if I were to go to LA, I'd have to 
to look at maps. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would right. just have to look at maps and say, here's where I'm going to eat. Uh, I could go. Because they have a charging station there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I could go. I could go. It out. For me to go to work, I don't even take it to work because I have 200 miles one way. And it's very hard to find a, a charging station. And my apartment doesn't have 220. So I'd have to. What I would have to do is drive 80 miles a little bit to the south to John Harris, the Harris Ranch. He's a great guy, wonderful farmer. He's got a big, everybody knows the Harris Ranch beef. Right. You've uh, he's there. terrific. I, yeah, I love John. He's a good man. Yeah. John and Carol Harris are wonderful yeah. people. And I would go out there and I would get one of those premier beautiful steak dinners, you know. Yes, I've had out. one. <laughs> and, I, and I would charge my 75 miles to get out there. And then I would start again with 3.30 to get to Palo Alto. And then either I would park the car and take a cord out the window of my apartment and do, you know, 24 hours, a 24-hour charge. And that would give me 75 miles. And then oh, my gosh. And then I could do it. But I just don't. I don't. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen, and it's not, you know, I mean, they, there's certain rules how you just don't, you have to tow them a particular way. And I think you have to get a particular tow driver. You can't oh my just, God. It, it's, it's, but yeah. I, that being said, if you've got a 70 to 150 mile daily commute, yeah, it's a wonderful car. Well, Mrs. Mrs. Hansen is a great lady and she can do whatever she wants. She loves it. She loves yeah. Elon Musk and she not, I should say I like Elon Musk. She really yeah. admires him. So not only did she insist on a Tesla, she wanted Starlink. So we have a, a backup, uh, a backup internet yeah. out here in the middle of nowhere. That Starlink. It's I don't think it's quite as good as the Verizon through the phone, but she loves it. And she has her little antenna upstairs on the balcony for Elon <laughs> Musk. And then she tells me, did you see how Elon Musk destroyed that BBC interviewer? Yeah. <laughs> and she likes him. And I well, good. You got to get I, you got to get him on this show. I think that would be a great episode. For you I to admire. Do. I admire anybody who's a 19th century person that can go out and build things. This guy right. built a space company. Right. He's got a tunneling company. He created Tesla when everybody thought that electric cars were not viable. And he saved Twitter. He not only saved Twitter, but he revealed what the cesspool, which is Silicon Valley left-wing censorship and the FBI's involvement. You know, that came out today, Victor, on that, uh, that. And I know you don't send messages, private messages via Twitter, but the government had access to to all that also. So it's not only that Jack Fowler posts something on Twitter, watch, you know, listen to the Victor Davis Hanson, that I would send a message to somebody else I knew, like Megyn Kelly, right? I would send her. Yeah. And, but they knew that. They had access to that. Like, what? I, I bet. I bet. <laughs> I'm going to, I don't understand Twitter, but I have a daughter who um, has a disabled child. So she has to be home. And she's convinced me she's going to she wants me to send her things and she's going to translate them into Twitter ease and post them. So I'm going to start. I've done that a little bit. So she's going to do that. I like that. I like yeah, seeing yeah. Victor, Victor yeah, engage. I'm, I'm going so. to try to do, try to do that. She's very busy because her child is uh, Lila is very disabled, but she's going to try to do that. Help right. out. Anyway, well, Victor, we, 
Yeah. Well, we've come to the uh, to the point where we must end this uh, happy little uh, episode. And uh, we thank our listeners, uh, whether they're on Stitcher or Google Play or whatever uh, platform, those who listen via Apple or iTunes can rate the show zero to five stars. Practically everyone gives five stars and Victor Victor could get 10 stars. He should deserve them, but five's the limit. Um, some people also leave comments and here's a very short and sweet one. It's from Silver and or S Silver Sand, Silver Sand 1951. It's titled Dr. Quay. Thank you. Excellent interview, exclamation point. I know I said that at the end of a recent podcast. I'll say it again. That was something everyone must find, that interview between Victor and Dr. Quay and listen to. Just so powerful, so troubling also. Um, what uh, continues to go on in the name of biology and medicine. Um, Victor, thanks for everything, you, all the wisdom you shared today. Thanks, folks, for listening. And we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next time.